Well, in the scripture, would you turn, please, again today to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 14. We've been looking at this for some weeks now, and we're calling it Separated. We're calling the title of the series Separated, and it comes from this passage. He said, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what concord has Christ with Belial, or the devil, or what part has he that believes with an infidel? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So the answer to all those questions is none. None. And uh, he's not saying you can't say hi to an unbeliever. You can't have a conversation with an unbeliever. You can't work with an unbeliever. Don't be yoked. Yoked. That is a relationship. An agreement that you are, you're fellowshipping on a continual basis and you're doing the same things. Uh, Yoke is a picture of two oxen that are inches apart and they are in the same yoke doing the same work. We, We must not be too close or too involved with unbelievers. Is this true or not? Yes. Am I reading the Bible? Yes. Keep reading. He said, uh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell in them and walk in them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. That's the opposite of being yoked closely together. And be ye separate says the Lord. Is this New Testament? Should we take this seriously? Be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Things of the Spirit are just as real as the things of the uh, natural. In fact, they last longer. Everything you see and feel is temporary. And just like there are things in the natural that are nasty, there are things spiritually that are unseen, but also they are nasty. They are corrupt. Corruption has to do with uh, decaying, rotten, and nasty, and filthy. There are things that are that way spiritually, just like there are things that are that way physically, naturally. Keep reading. Read the next verse. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Next verse. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, that he'd be our God, he'd be in us, we'd be his temple, he'd walk with us, dwell with us. Let us, who's going to do this? Us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, that's what we were just talking about, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now, we know we can't do what the blood of Jesus can do in washing us. So what's this talking about? Well, even though you've been washed and cleansed, it's still up to you if you jump back into the pig pen. Right? And if you'll get out and ask the Lord, he'll cleanse you. But it's still, if you jump back in there before the day's over, you see what he's talking about? You have to make the decision, you're going to stay out of the pig pen. Stay out of the sewage ditch. I know that's graphic, but that's what he's talking about. Things that are filthy, things that are nasty. And even though you've been born again, and even though your spirit's been recreated, you've been washed by the blood, you didn't lose your free will. And you can yield to wrong things, and you can defile yourself. Now, uh, with that understanding, uh, you don't have to turn there, but Romans 12, let's just read these two. that We've already covered them, but I want to remind you of them. Romans chapter 12 and 2. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be what? Conformed. That, w- that means don't become just like the world, the ungodly world. And when we're talking about being separate and we're talking about, we're talking about holiness is what we're talking about. This does not mean that you judge other people for how they're living. And it does not mean that you act holier than thou, accusing them of wrong. It means you don't allow yourself to be conformed. Now, I know it didn't take long to say that, but is everybody clear on that? Because one of the things that has, has hurt the witness for Christ is people who are not even living like they say others should be living, preaching and condemning and judging others. That has done some of the most damage to the witness of Christ. Uh, Is everybody clear? What are we talking about? We're not talking about you telling other people how to live. We're talking about you not allowing yourself to be conformed to things that you see to be ungodly or wrong. If they want to live that way, well, it's their choice. But if they push you to join them, you're not going to join them. You're not going to judge them, but nor are you going to join them. Come on, say it out loud. I'm not going to judge them, but I'm not going to join them either. Not going to judge them, but don't push me to accept it and do the same thing. I'm not going to. That's where I get stuck. That's where you know what I mean by stuck. I'm not moving. No. Well, well, what's wrong? You can you can just come over and, and do that with us. No, no, I, I won't. Well, what's wrong? You think you're too good to do this? You, you think? No, I'm just not. Okay. I'm not. (laughs) Don't discuss it. Don't be open to discussion. And we're going to see why. Don't be conformed. 
to this world. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33, he says this, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. The Amplified says, Do not be so deceived and misled, evil companionships, communion associations, corrupt and deprave good manners and morals and character. This is why you don't want to be too close to unbelievers. Why? Because if they don't come your way, you're going to go their way. You can't spend that much time with them and do everything they do without, you can't participate without partaking. And that's actually chapters of scripture that I, I surmised. You, you can't participate in it without partaking of it. But now notice that first sentence, don't be deceived. Deception is involved in this. Deception. We looked, last time we spoke on this, at the, the part that the conscience plays in these things. And I want to continue with that today. If you would go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I'm not ready to go to John chapter 8. I like John chapter 8, but I'm not quite ready. How, how about 1 Corinthians 8? Go to 1 Corinthians 8, and let's lay down this foundation further. The scripture, the New Testament, has quite a bit to say about the conscience. The conscience. What is the conscience? If you look up the words, sunodesis is the Greek word, it means co-perception. Co-perception. It's from the word sunido, which means to see. To see completely. To understand, to be aware of, to be conscious of. You might call it self-aware, aware within yourself, conscious of something. But I, I like the original root word, to see. You see something. We use that terminology all the time. You know, we just ministered on that in the... Um, Greater faith. Thank you, conference. <laughs> what are y'all laughing about? I've been to more than one meeting since then. Uh, about vision and how it's inseparable from faith. Well, when you say, I, we're talking about the word, and you say, I see that. Well, you're not talking about something you saw physically. Well, where'd you see it? When you say, I see that, you mean I'm aware of it, I'm conscious of it, I understand. And, and literal, spiritual seeing is involved. I see it. This is a direct part of your conscience. Your conscience. When you see something, you're aware of something. Now notice in 1 Corinthians 8, 
verse 7, he said, There is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol to this hour eat it as a thing offered to an idol. Their conscience being weak is what? Is what? Defiled. Now, that's what we're talking about in this study. He said, come out from among them, be separate, don't touch the unclean thing. Now, now that word defiled means to be smear or to soil. This is interesting. Your conscience, let me just give you a few words from the New Testament. Your conscience can be wounded. It can be soiled. It can be seared. Your conscience. And here he's warning about soiling your conscience. You know, we hadn't heard enough about these things, have we? <laughs> Should you pay attention to your conscience? We use the terminology keep a clear conscience and I'm not saying that's wrong but you'll find more often in the New Testament the term clean conscience. Everybody say clean. Clean, clean conscience and here you see a defiled soiled the, the picture is like taking mud or filth and smearing it on your body. And that, that's the picture of, of what happens to your conscience. Wow. That your conscience is besmeared and befouled and soiled. Because it is weak. And the, uh, the word weak means strengthless. No strength. Strengthless. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Your inner man. Not reason, not feeling. And depending on what you yield to and what you feed the most, that'll be the loudest voice in your life. If you yield to the flesh the most and feed the flesh the most, then feeling will be the loudest voice in your life. Everything else will be muted down. If you feed your intellect, and that's all, then reason will be the loudest voice. But you and I are not just mind and body. We're spirit. I said we're spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in our flesh. He doesn't dwell just in our brain. He dwells in our spirit. In the inner man. So in order to hear and commune with him. He does it through that part of our being. Our inner man. We need to keep a clean conscience. In order to hear from him clearly. And distinctly. We don't need things muddied up. And fouled up. We need clean. And clear. And strong. Any Christian, any believer, when they're tempted to do something wrong, if your flesh is the loudest voice in your life, 
then it's, it's yelling, even though you might not hear it physically. It's saying, I want it. I want it now. I want it. Give it to me. And if your spirit hasn't been fed and hasn't been paid attention to, from down deep inside it'll go, no. No, you shouldn't do that. No, that's not right. No. And the flesh says, shut up. I want it. Shut up. Strengthless. The conscience the spirit, voice of the spirit, without strength, weak, not heeded. But you can starve the flesh. It's called fasting. <laughs> oh boy. And it's not just about skipping food. You know, some of the biggest fasting nowadays might be fasting your favorite secular TV programs. Or some of your internet stuff. Or or whatever. But whatever feeds your flesh. If you starve it. It'll get weaker. And if you feed your spirit. Now not just you know. Politics and social reform. And poetry. You got to feed it the anointed. Word of God. Then and exercise it. It'll go stronger and stronger. Until after a portion of time. It can be completely reversed. And your flesh will say timidly, can we do that? I want to do that. And your spirit says, no. Okay, all right, all right, just ask it. (laughs) Now, most people are not operating there. But you can, if you will. Their conscience was strengthless and soiled. Keep reading. Actually, I tell you what, go to, go to Titus. Let's just do it this way. Titus 1 and 15. To the pure, all things are pure. To them that are defiled, there's that word again, and unbelieving is nothing pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. It makes all the difference where someone is living on the inside. There's a lot of folks, you can't even be very nice to them. They'll twist it into something else. And you need to heed that in your spirit. To the pure, all things are pure. You know, I've had people say, well, you know, I think we should practice, you know, greet one another with a holy kiss. In the church. And it was a guy. And what he meant was kiss all the girls. He could, he could find. No. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's a right way to do it. But it depends on who they are. And where their heart and mind is at. There's a lot of people. And, and ladies. Listen to me. There's a lot of guys. You just can't be real nice to. They'll twist it into something sexual and that you have an attraction for them. Under the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and corrupt, 
Unbelieving nothing is pure. Their very mind, this is the amplified now, their very minds and consciences are what? Defiled and polluted. So now we're talking about the same thing, aren't we, as our text. How did we get defiled? How did we get soiled in conscience? That word defiled here means stained. Their consciences are stained. They profess to know God, but deny and and disown and renounce Him by what they do. They're detestable, loathsome, unbelieving, disobedient, disloyal, unfit and worthless for good work of any kind. Wow. Go to the third chapter of Titus. Well, you know, there's a lot in this New Testament. If you'll read it and pay attention. Titus 3.9, also this is the Amplified. He said, avoid, Titus 3.9, avoid stupid and foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and wrangling about the law, for they are unprofitable and futile. Keep going. As for a man who is factious, a heretical sectarian and cause of divisions. If you look at different translations, it means somebody who is a troublemaker, somebody who is divisive, who causes and perpetuates divisions and strife. After admonishing him or her a first and a second time, reject and have nothing more to do with him. Really? Really? This sounds similar to what we've studied in previous passages. Why? I thought, is that love? Did I lose somebody? Now see, the enemy is pushing what he calls compassion to excuse compromise. He wants you to compromise in the name of compassion. But you can be kind without conforming. Come on, say it out loud. I can be kind without conforming. Now, I'm not telling you everybody will be happy with that. They won't be. There will come points when you're pushed and you won't agree and you won't conform. You're not judging them. You're just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And they will get very irate with you. Very upset with you. And this gets into being persecuted. They that will live godly. In Christ Jesus shall. Suffer. Not being sick. Not suffer the curse of the law. Not being broke. Suffer what? Persecution. Persecution. Now uh, notice it goes on to say. Somebody that's arguing all the time. They're causing the strife and divisions. You reprove them one time. Then you reprove them again. And then you leave them alone. You leave them alone. Really? Yes. Why? Because, verse 11, well aware that such a person has utterly changed. He goes on sinning. He's convicted of guilt and is self-condemned. They know better inside than what they're doing. And if they won't listen to their own conscience, 
There's no need in you telling them another 150 times. You're wasting your time. Can you see this or not? The Lord gave me this uh, decades ago and it fits here as well. This applies to child rearing. It applies to dealing with youth and teenagers. It applies to dealing with staff. It, It applies to all these situations. Ignorance needs instruction. Defiance needs discipline. I'm going to say that again. Ignorance needs what? Ignorance doesn't need discipline. Would you agree? Ignorance doesn't need discipline. What does ignorance need? Instruction. They don't know. They may be doing some bad stuff, but it's because they don't know. They need to be instructed. Now, uh, defiance needs instruction. Defiance needs instruction. Our society thinks so. Our society thinks instruction and more instruction and more instruction and more instruction is the solution for anything and everything. And you just got to be patient. Patient. You've already told them 200 times, but you just got to be patient and good Christian love and tell them another 40 times, not according to the Bible. It's not true. Defiance and rebellion is not a lack of instruction problem. They know. They've heard it. They understand it. They just refuse to do it. So what does that need? Discipline. Action. Not talk. I'm not talking about beating somebody up. I'm just talking about quit talking and do something. Stop instructing and make an action. <laughs> okay? And that's what's going on here. Why? Because the Spirit of God is revealing that this person that's arguing and combative and divisive and causing strife, and you've talked to them about it once. And they didn't listen, didn't change a thing. You talk to them about it again, and they didn't listen, didn't change a thing. You leave them alone. You have nothing to do with them. Why? They are self-condemned. They know better inside their self than what they are doing. They are overriding their own conscience. Spirit of God's been trying to talk to them through their own conscience. They won't listen to him or it. So they're not going to listen to you. We need to quit playing games and do things at work. Now you're ready for John 8. Don't let unbelievers tell you what Christian love is. They don't even believe in love. What do you mean? Oh yeah, I believe in love. God is love. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in love. Not real love. You're, You're calling something else love, but don't, don't let unbelievers tell you who Jesus is and what he would do, what he said and did. People that don't even believe in him, telling you how you should act like Jesus. <laughs> Stupidity. They don't even know it. And reveal how he dealt with people. You remember when he stood before Herod 
He didn't answer him a word. Is that true or not? He wouldn't even speak to him. Didn't answer him a word. Really? Why? Because of some of this right here. He perceived by the Spirit. It do no good. This man don't want to get saved. Right? He don't care about what's right and wrong. There are people who want to hear what God would give through you. You can be kind, take all the patience and time and effort, but there's other folks, it is a total waste of your time. It's not an ignorance problem. They understood it 10 years ago. They just don't like it. They don't want it. They don't want to hear it anymore. So you should hush and leave them alone and say, next. Who wants to hear this? I know you don't. Okay, I won't bother you. Who wants to hear this? This is good. Next. And somebody does. Somebody's like you. When they hear it, they'll get excited about it. Somebody's like you were first time you heard it. John 8, verse 1. One of the biggest issues with obeying that passage of Scripture, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, don't be conformed to this world. One of the biggest ways you do that is by not violating your conscience. It's not by adhering to someone else's list of rules, of do's and don'ts what they think is right and what they think is wrong. Think about what even you could call sin. What is sin? The Bible says in James, him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Why would you say to him? Isn't it sin to anybody and everybody? It said to him. Why? Because of what he knows. Can you see this? Sin is violation of light. That's one of the reasons why we're commanded not to judge. We are not qualified to judge. I don't know truly what you see inside yourself and what you don't. So I don't know if you're violating light you have or if you're not. If you're ignorant or if you're violating light. I don't know that. God does. So the Bible said, you know, whatever's not of faith is sin. One translation says, whatever is done without a, a, a conviction of its approval by God. It has to do with that clean conscience. If something bothers you, then to you, it's a problem. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. Come on here with me. It's about keeping that conscience clean. If it's bothering you, God knows your heart. First John says, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him. Well, what if your heart is bothering you? Your heart is condemning you. You don't have confidence. It undermines, it pulls the rug out from under your faith when your heart's condemning you. And this is a full-time occupation. Isn't it? It's not hard. I don't mean that. It's not confusing. It's just instead of judging other people, you need to take care of your own business. 
You, you need to check your own heart. Does, it, does that bother me? Well, I can't do it, no matter who else is doing it. And if somebody says, well, I see this or I see that. Yeah, but do you see it for you? You'll see some of this right here in John 8, 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees. Now these were the religious leaders of their area. They were the supposed to be the most knowledgeable of the word. And the Pharisees, supposed to be the most holy, lived the most separated life. They brought to him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And when I read that, I'm always thinking, where's the man? Right? You cannot commit adultery by yourself. You certainly can't get caught in the act of adultery by yourself. Where's the man? <laughs> they probably knew the guy. This is a setup. They probably knew him. But they don't drag him here. They just drag the woman. Verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Now why are they doing this? Jesus has tremendous public momentum. The common people love him. They can understand his messages. <laughs> They've been healed and delivered in his meetings. They love him. But he also has no qualms about calling religious leaders snakes, vipers, <laughs> and just and going through and turning over their money tables. I mean, I mean whew, he has really ruffled some feathers. So what they're trying to do is get a public demonstration that Jesus actually goes contrary to the law. And then even people that were slow about it would say, well, that ain't right. I mean, he's going contrary to the word. The only other option is be a partner to killing this woman. Right here, right now. So they, they think they've got him stuck between the proverbial rock and hard place. They got him if he goes this way. They got him if he goes that way. They think they got him. If he says, well, no, you know, show mercy, don't stone her, then they're going to say, he has no respect for Moses, has no respect for the law. He can't be right. Why you follow this, this heretic? Or if he says, well, that's right, the law says stoner, so I guess we have to stoner. Then these people who've decided he's more compassionate than these ungodly leaders, they're going to go, well, look, he just stood there and let him kill that woman. They think they got him either way. And the reason I'm saying that is the enemy will often think he's got you. In a bind. That either way you go, he's got you. And he's trying to force you 
to choose between option A and option B. But what he doesn't know is the Holy Spirit has option C. <laughs> that he never, the enemy never thought of. And, but we have to focus and look to him to get option C. Don't let anybody or any circumstance force you to pick between two bad options. With the Holy Spirit, there's options you never thought about. What do you say? Verse 6. This they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now there's been a lot of conjecture about what he wrote. I'd say the scripture didn't say what he wrote. So you got to watch about your conjecture. But I do notice this. He didn't just answer them. We know he's operating as a man. And he just, he basically just puts them on hold. On pause. And just kneels down here. I believe he's checking his heart. I believe he's looking to the Father. He says, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see him do. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him. So they just kept on berating him with this. Well, what do you say, preacher? We stone her or do we don't? They just kept on. And, but he just didn't. Finally, he lifted up himself and he looked at them. He said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And verse 8, and he stooped down and wrote on the ground some more. You know, we need to not move too fast or speak too quickly. We need to wait on the Lord till we get from him what we're supposed to say and do. And then when we say and do what we're supposed to say and do, we need to back off and let the Lord deal with it and not do additional things he didn't tell us to say and do. Can you see? He says what the Lord gave him to say, what the Father gave him to say, I should say, and then he just kneels down again and they are left to deal with their own conscience. Now read, read verse 9. And they which heard it. Being convicted. By what? Not, not condemned by the Holy Spirit. That's incorrect terminology. You hear people say that. Saying, Boy the Lord really condemned me about some things. No he didn't. No he didn't. The Holy Spirit really condemned me about some things. No he didn't. He didn't. He will convince you of something. If you've seen you've done wrong, your own heart will condemn you. That's not the Holy Spirit condemning. They were convicted by their own conscience. They went out one by one, beginning at the eldest. They've been alive longer, made more mistakes. <laughs> Even to the last. <laughs> And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. This is such a picture of how conscience works. They came there for a showdown with this prophet. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe he's the Son of God. 
he's messing up their little religious playhouse. And they want him out of the picture. They want to, you know, do something to cause him to lose respect in the eyes of the people. They want him to be a non-issue. So they came there ready to stone this woman. And they'd like to stone him. You know, they tried to do it more than once. But Jesus just stands up. And, and it's not just the sentence that Jesus said. It was the anointing on it. Amen. When he said this, he stood up. See, th- this is option C. They did not expect this. They did not expect this. He said, well, he who's without sin among you. Guys, it just brought her here. You can be the first one to throw the stone at her. And then he just knelt down and left them with their own conscience and the Holy Spirit. And as they stood there, I mean, balls in their court now. All the crowd there have been looking at them when they talked to him. They're looking at Jesus, and they're looking at them. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? When he said that, now they're all looking at them. And there's several of them that you, I mean, they're looking daggers through them. Don't you dare pick up a rock. I know you. I know you. Don't you do it. I know what you did last week. Don't you dare pick up a rock. If they had been heeding their conscience that morning, the day before. They would never have brought this woman there to begin with. Can you see this? If you, a big part of this is simply honesty and being honest with yourself. You can't judge other people without being dishonest. Period. When you get all haughty and high and mighty and holier than thou and come down on somebody and berate them for their failures, you are being the biggest hypocrite. You're acting like you never missed it. I never missed it like that. You sure did. Maybe you didn't do that exact same thing, but in heart, in spirit, disobedience was involved, rebellion, defiance, dishonesty, it was there. And if you're going to be honest, you cannot judge other people. Yeah, but we caught them in the act. Yeah, but what about you? Yeah, but I've never done that. What, since you were born again? Or if even then? Do you see what I'm talking about? Such, yeah, but but that was before I was born again. Yeah, but you did it. This dishonesty is what causes the conscience to be soiled and defiled. This acting like you don't know when you do. Acting like you've never missed it when you know that you have. Keep reading. One by one, they, they left. Isn't that a miracle? These people came full of hate. They came to kill somebody. Right? And one by one, beginning at the eldest. I mean, you know, the longer you go, you should learn a few things, right? You should get some sense. 
And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing there in the midst. Verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself, saw none but the woman. This is a miracle. He said to her, woman, where's your accusers? Has no man condemned you? Verse 11. She said, no man, Lord. What did Jesus say to her? If there was anybody that could condemn, that could say, I never have and I never will, how could you? It was him. Right? Is that what he said? He didn't say, I've never done it. I never could. What did he say? I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now he's not telling her what she did is okay. Right? He called it sin. He's not telling her it's okay to keep doing it. Can you see that? It is sin. And uh, don't do it anymore. Don't do it anymore. Oh, somebody say, glory to God. God. I don't condemn you either. Well, if Jesus didn't condemn her, you and I shouldn't condemn her. Or anybody else. For anything else. Not our job. Verse 12. Jesus spoke again. He said, I am the light of the world. See, this is not separate from this passage. What happened when those men got convicted by their own conscience? When he said, he that's without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. They saw light. Can you see that? They saw, what is your conscience? It's where you see and you're aware of things. And you don't understand things inside yourself. They, They realized, if I throw a stone at her, I'm being a deceiving hypocrite. They saw that light, and on that occasion, they chose to drop their stone and walk in the light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. Praise God. Let me tell you another way of saying this. He that keeps his conscience clear and doesn't violate the light that he has will keep following Christ and keep walking in the light. And it'll keep getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Can you see this? But if you ignore your conscience, then you soil your conscience. And it can even get worse than that. Let's see this. And I think in closing, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, 1, he said, The Spirit speaks expressly specifically, pointedly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now these are people who were in the faith. You can't leave somewhere you hadn't been to. These are people who are in the faith, leaving the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Keep reading. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Your conscience can be soiled. It can also be seared. Now, this is an even worse condition than soiled. Soiled can be cleaned. Seared has to be healed. Can you see that? Even miraculously healed. 
Let me read this to you from some other translations. The Phillips translation says it like this. God's Spirit specifically tells us in latter days there will be men who abandon the true faith and allow themselves to be spiritually seduced by teachings of the devil. Teachings given by men who are lying hypocrites whose consciences are as dead as seared flesh. New Century says their consciences are destroyed as if by a hot iron. Listen to the Living Bible. The Living Bible said these teachers will tell lies with straight faces and do it so often that their consciences won't even bother them. And this this is a different way of saying the same thing. And notice what was it that seared the conscience? Lying. Lying. Acting like you don't know when you did. And lying. That's you know he talked about that individual that was a troublemaker and strife maker. They're self-condemned, he said. Condemned of their own self. I know every church-going person would agree that lying is a bad thing. But I don't think most folk understand how bad it is. God hates it. Hates it. It is the language of the devil himself. God didn't create lying and deception. The devil fathered lying. It's his own language. Nothing can be further from God-like than telling a lie. And when you think about it, the enemy of your soul every day is trying to deceive you, isn't he? That's one of his main tactics. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to lie to you, deceive you, get you to believe something is true that's not, something that's not true is And if you join him and try to deceive somebody, you're you're joining with the enemy of their soul and yours. You have left the God team and gone to the wrong team. Now, all of us have made mistakes. I mean, it can start when you're two years old. People laugh about it. You know, they hear the cookie jar rattle in the kitchen. They go in there. And there's little britches, you know, three years old, cookie jars crooked, crumbs on the counter, chocolates on their mouth, and you go, have you been in the cookie jar? They go, mm-mm. <laughs> and people do that. But it ain't funny. I said, it ain't funny. It won't be funny when they're 16 and you ask them, did you take money out of my purse? Are y'all with me or not? And it's the same evil stuff. And I don't mean you go ballistic. I don't mean that. But you do need to start immediately helping them to see this is not funny. This is not a joke. This will destroy your life. You lying can cause your conscience to become seared like somebody took a branding iron to it. You just keep telling lies and keep telling lies and keep telling lies in hypocrisy. You won't even be able to discern anymore through calloused, seared conscience what's God and what's not. This is a serious condition. 
But thanks be to God, we know somebody who can heal. Is that right? Heal seared, calloused, damaged. When uh, Phyllis and I first got married, I got a job loading freight. And it was uh, hard work. We worked with our hands. And uh, some of the guys that had worked out there on the dock loading freight, they had got such calluses built up in their hands that they'd sit there sometime with a little pocket pen knife during lunch and just cut into their hands and they can't even feel it. They're so thick because of all that friction and all that work. Well, after, uh, I don't know, two or three years of that, I was starting to get some of those calluses on my hand too. I got some pretty good calluses in the, in the front part of my, my palm. The reason I'm telling you is because now they're not there at all. I got little soft preacher hands. Why? Why? Because I stopped doing the things that caused the calluses. Come on, you see that? I stopped doing the things that was friction against my, my palm. You got to stop the lying. Stop the dishonesty. How many understand you got to be honest with yourself? Oh, come on. Somebody say, I got to be honest with myself. Got to be honest with yourself. And that's, that's why some of these other things, you shouldn't be so shocked if people are dishonest with you because they're not honest with their self. But when you begin to be really honest with yourself, you'll get a hold of the truth. And the truth will make you free. And, and it, even if you had calloused yourself, it'll begin to soften up again. You'll begin to get sensitive again. You'll begin to get clean and clear to hear. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. Somebody say praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Hebrews 13, 18. Just put it on the screen, please. Hebrews 13, 18 says, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live what? What's an inseparable part of a clean and a good conscience? Honesty. Honesty. Stand on your feet if you would, everybody. Most everyone has made mistakes in these areas. And we're not talking about living in condemnation or living in the past. But we do need to make a decision about what we do now. How we live going forward. And you might not have known what a big issue it is. And you might have grew up in a home where lying was the norm. But that's no excuse now. You were here. You heard it. You know. Right? And that's what we're talking about. Being honest. Hold up your, uh, your hand before the Lord. and Open your heart. Say it out loud, Father God. Father God I, choose I choose to love you. To love, you, to love, truth. To love truth. I hate lying. I, hate lying. I, despise, I despise the language of the devil. Of the devil. I despise 
deception. It hurts. It destroys. I reject it. I refuse to be a partner with a lie. Quicken me. Reveal to me. Check me. Lest I say things that are dishonest. Arrest me. Remind me. Reveal it to me. I choose light. I choose life. I choose truth. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.